Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. Seeking the truth, exposing the lies. Remember, together, we are unstoppable. Keep on digging. Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to a podcast with me, Dave, and another thing, and Travis. We're going to be talking about what is next for the U.S. of A. Hashtag red pill greetings fellow earthlings this is dave and travis with another episode of and another thing with dave today we're talking about post 9 11 the post 9 11 reality how 9 11 has led us to this moment in time and we're also going to touch on the new ministry of truth wow can you believe this uh can you believe what's going on in the world right now trav uh, I'm finding it hard to believe. As soon as that story about the Ministry of Truth came out, I thought, okay, this is something like the Onion. This is the Babylon Bee trolling us. But uh, no, they flat out took the job description and the job title right out of Orwell's uh, 1984 and uh, pretty much hit copy and paste right into uh, the DHS. I'm a little shocked. Thank you. Yeah, that, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Unbelievable. Like, would make a great sci-fi um would make a great onion article but no this is our current reality uh so pinch yourself you are awake this is happening yeah unreal um to me this is it's kind of been a up to this moment ever since 9 11 um and what triggered me to think about that during that moment of 9 11 was remember when they came out with the alerts the yellow orange and red alert uh vaguely i think i know what you're talking about but continue yeah so so they came out you know we were told basically it was be afraid stay afraid uh code yellow but they didn't tell you what to do if it was code yellow oh no now it's code orange but they didn't tell you what to do if it's code orange and heaven forbid we get code red which means i don't know somebody's got their finger on the nuke button but what triggered my suspicion during that time was that we were never told what to do under any of those codes. So to me, it was obvious that that was just a be afraid, stay afraid moment. Trust your daddy government, uh, we'll take care of you, don't think too much. Yeah, pretty much the closer you could get to green, the more it was you could breathe easy, and then just, they always wanna keep you right between on either one of them, but that way, rather than say, we're all gonna die, you can at least say, hey, look, the government's doing something for me. We went down a shade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we entered the era of, you know, preemptive uh, war strikes, assassinations, torture. So I don't know. It it seems like this would be an obvious next step or conclusion, as mind blowing as it is and as disheartening as it is. um, You know, it's a it's a sad day for democracy. Not that we live in a democracy because, you know, we live in a. quote unquote democratic republic but mm-hmm. yeah we are just slipping further and further from democracy every single day yeah yeah that um that that along with many many things i mean the world the world completely changed right after 911 i remember uh i i was extremely young when i took my very first plane ride before 911 i was born in 91 so I, I think maybe I, I was six, so I just have, you know, small vivid memories being in there. 
uh, I, I do remember it being a lot easier to actually be able to get on board the plane. Uh, the atmosphere was just a lot more relaxed and you could even, I, one of the things I got to do is you could go up and, uh, go into the, uh, the, where the pilot was and, uh, meet the captain. And, you know, if you were small enough and if he was filling up to it, even like throw you on your lap and like show you as if you playing it now, God forbid you walk right up towards the cabin, you will be halted. Um, oh yeah, if not tackled, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, yeah. And then um, apparently, I also learned recently from my last plane ride that I had taken, uh, which was pre-COVID. So we're talking like, uh, actually, we're talking 2017. Apparently, the uh, stewardess, as they walk by, if you ever notice, like they will like gradually make eye contact with every single person. They're at that point looking for people that they can recruit to help for if something were to happen like a hijacking or uh, something like a bombing where someone can jump in and assist with uh, restraining people also looking for people who might be medical, who they just like, they were taught to do profiling and uh, figure out who was going to be of help. And then who also might be uh, a little bit sketchy stuff that originally they were just supposed to be able to go, safety announcements ask you if you'd like to have some peanuts offer you a drink take your orders and then uh tell people where about to land or where about to take off it was mild description but then they started teaching pretty much police profiling um yeah exactly they used to be glorified cocktail waitresses right (laughs) yeah pretty much and then uh obviously we have um for the younger kids that are uh listening who weren't around for 9-11 or aren't old enough to have any vivid memories of it where I am. Um, the one thing, if you ever want to make something permanent, make it a temporary order. Uh, mm-hmm. For those of you who don't understand, the TSA, that was not around before 9 11. Uh, all the whole going through them having to check you, pretty much fondle you uh, over different stuff, um, different strip searches at different times, and then restricting all the things that you can and cannot. You could be able to bring a knife. Uh, back then now you so much as bring on like a nail filer you're getting pulled aside um so then there was um further down the line there was they discovered that uh they had to cut down the amount of toothpaste because of uh certain uh chemicals in it where they could go and turn it into a bomb and so our uh they specifically sell the sizes now i think that happened in 2006 i might have my date wrong but your travel size toothpaste has actually gotten even smaller because of that uh, because pretty much you weren't able to bring on a full travel size tube of toothpaste because they said that you might be able to blow things up. Um, So they cut it down by about a half ounce or so. So there's just all these different things, but that was always supposed to be a temporary order just until we're out of Afghanistan. Well, we're out of Afghanistan and I'm pretty sure they're still there Um, for the people who can't like I said, who might be too young, um, that's your 15 days to slow the spread. Right. You know, yeah, you remember, on, it's like, just going to be a short temporary notice. Don't worry. Everything's going to go back to normal until, you know, we will, until we flatten the curve or just until we, you know, smother the, uh, smother all the terrorists out over in Afghanistan. And if you remember when we went in, uh, I forget who was, was that said this, but they said that they were talking about how we're going to be celebrating Christmas in their capital. 
Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be just a blitz, just run right through pretty much what how Russia thought they were going to run right through Ukraine. And um, right. it, uh, it it obviously did not happen like that. And so temporary orders are always the most permanent thing. You can look at how temporarily we were supposed to be taken off the gold standard and then go back on after I think it was five to seven years that uh, never changed. Like TSA, 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah, we're littered with these things. The thing ever, make it a temporary order, it'll stay. That's a great point. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, what you brought up about toothpaste is hilarious, right? Because when was the last time you heard about somebody making a bomb out of toothpaste? Like, really? Really? Uh, okay. 2006. <laughs> and that was about yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I actually have a collector's item. It's a United Airlines, a metal knife that I got on a flight, on United Airlines flight. And, um, you know, that's a, it's probably a collector's item. (laughs) But what they've moved to since 9-11, you know, is mass surveillance. Uh, We learned about this through Edward Snowden. And one thing that California implemented is a new ID. And I opted out of it. It's going to be mandatory eventually, but now it's voluntary. But unless you get this new ID, you cannot fly. Um, That's actually happening in Pennsylvania right now. Yeah. So I think they're trying to move it out uh, initially voluntarily, but with limitations. Like if you don't sign up for the voluntary new ID, then you can't use you can't fly on a on a commercial airline. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think it's it's going to move to be mandated after that, um, which is, you know, it's just disturbing. It's another step in the slippery slope of removing our civil liberties. and what I, I pulled up something right here from the ACLU about the Patriot Act, which I believe Biden was fundamental in having passed if he did not even, if not take a part in, uh, in writing it. Um, but here's a clip. Surveillance under the Patriot Act hastily passed 45 days after 9-11 in the name of national security. The Patriot Act was the first of many changes to surveillance laws that made it easier for the government to spy on ordinary Americans by expanding the authority to monitor phone and email communications, collect bank and credit reporting records, and track the activity of innocent Americans on the internet. While most Americans think it was created to catch terrorists, the Patriot actually turns regular citizens into suspects. Hmm. Bam. So what, what are your thoughts on the Patriot Act and on um, on the surveillance? Uh, well, before I before I turn it over to you with that, I wanted to just mention this thing I saw on Democracy Now. I'll look it up in a second and grab the exact link to it. But basically, it was a program on Democracy Now with Amy Goodman where she was interviewing three people, uh, reporter Chris Hedges, reporter Max Blumenthal, and uh, Edward Snowden about the origins of... Uh, you know, surveillance, actually about the origins of the Snowden League and and the depth at what it went to, which it went to. And Snowden was pointed out that uh, not only did it give the government the ability and do they have the technological ability to spy on you through your own phone, through your smart TV, through every different email server and every different social media platform. Um, but that also 70% of the world's communication comes through the United States. 
So they have access to 70% of the world's communications. This is the NSA, right? And since 9-11, the NSA has doubled in size, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, to jump on that last point that you just made, not only that, but now we're also having China have a lot of access to that, seeing as all of our tech comes through there. Um, they're pretty much also getting just as much uh, info as uh, the NSA. So at that point, not only are we arming uh, ourselves with uh, intelligence that not be armed, but also we're handing that off uh, over to China as well. Um, I also want to point out about 90, 90, between 95 to 99% of the Patriot Act was a gross overreach. The way it was sold to people um, was uh, we all stared at our TVs with our jaws dropped and just wondering how could this have possibly happened to us? Because remember, we hadn't been attacked on our soils since uh, December 7th uh, when D-Day, or not D-Day, I'm sorry, uh, when Pearl Harbor hit. Um, so everybody was just absolutely flabbergasted to see a hit at this magnitude on our soil. Now, keep in mind, there was stuff leading up to this before. They had tried to take down 9-11 before by using stuff in the basements, planting bombs that didn't work out. They had also... Um, uh, you mean the, the Twin Towers, you mean? 9-11. Uh, yeah, yeah. Try and take down the uh, Twin Towers, uh, a, a pretty much a pre-9-11 run where they yeah. were using uh, bombs in the basement. This was under Clinton. Um, I forget what the name of the ship was. I don't I don't believe it was the coal. It might have been. Uh, but they had also pretty much loaded up a uh, full of explosives and sent it over to the coal and blew a massive hole through the side of it. I think this was 97 or 95 that this happened. Um, so there was plenty of warning signs. Uh, and then part of their justification for completely missing it was saying, well, everyone was compartmentalized. So the FBI, they knew part of the issue. The CIA knew their part of the issue. And all these other three little agencies, they all knew part of it. And so their thing was because that they were pretty much competing against each other and uh, that they all had parts to it and had they all come together unit we would have been able to stop this but because you know we couldn't get our funding and we were all battling for funding because everyone wanted to have their hero moment uh we ended up having pretty much the world's biggest uh, attack because this this affected the whole world it's this happened all the way over in downtown new york new york and it affected uh my neighborhood when two girls that lived directly across the street from me were absolutely shocked and because their dad worked in the first tower and wow. you know we were over in we're in south central uh pennsylvania where this is happening my uh one sister pamela she had a uh, friend in elementary school who thank god had a fear of flying and because of her quote unquote irrational fear of flying she caused her and her mother to be late and they found out um later on that day that their flight was the one to hit the second tower so there, I mean, this when you bring in planes that are flying all around internationally, but also the World Trade Center brings a lot of people all over the U.S. together. This affects a lot of people directly. Plus, not to mention, we're talking about an hour, uh, maybe an hour and a half away from where I was living at the time, uh, where the uh, final plane hit the field in Pennsylvania. 
So this grabbed everyone from all over. But so when we all saw and we were like, okay, these agencies, uh, they need to work together. So that was the main thing that was put together to us, not about spying on us. It was saying, okay, we're now making a law within this Patriot Act that all these agencies have to come together and share information uh, for the better good of the nation rather than being competing against each other. And it'll essentially make it one big uh, unit of intelligence. Well, we got that. And then everything else that followed was absolutely just a, a gross overreach. And uh, then all of a sudden, everything started getting you saw the the tech pretty much i call it the tech crunch uh if you want to refer to it that but just look how far our technology came from flip phones and then very shortly after ipods ipods to um you had into the beginning of the teens uh the iphones and then the smartphones smart tvs uh all this stuff coming out so an infinite easily for uh people to go and spy on you um, so they don't, they don't need to be sending people out. Essentially the spying that they could do would have been completely warranted if they could use their fourth, people could have their fourth amendment right where they go, you get a judge, you say, we have a certain intelligence that leads us to believe that this person is possibly going to be commanding a terrorist act. And you get a warrant from the judge that give it to you and say, you're full of bunk, come back to me with something that's real. Uh, and then they can go and get that warrant and then actually do the real work, which is how this is supposed to be happening. So they're essentially saying everybody's a criminal um, before they ever commit anything. And uh, granted, we grabbed uh, some people in the midst of it, but uh, how many people have been completely compromised? And then this leads over into things like how Obama used the IRS to 501c3s um, for political. Uh, pretty much political hatred of the people. Um, and then this eventually evolved into Jones strikes where we killed U.S. citizens uh, at the cafes, um, whether it be overseas or some even on our own soil. Um, so yeah, pretty much the Patriot Act is one big spying uh, organization where they don't need to consult your rights. That's my long-winded uh, view on it. The, the Patriot Act was honestly just the beginning of a gross massive uh overreach it's the big fruit that you can pick down for saying what went wrong after 9-11 but we had so much more that's changed since then but i'll uh kind of you oh man yeah that, great points great points it's so true it was basically the tip of the iceberg that opened the blew the door wide open right um mm -hmm. and you know there there were many cases of people being arrested on drug charges that then turned into a you know Department of Homeland Security case, and they utilized the Patriot Act to to facilitate drug arrests, um, which you you no longer needed a warrant. You could just kick somebody's door in, take them away in the dark at night, and you know possibly throw them in a black site prison in a foreign country to be tortured. Um, unbelievable. And you also mentioned Obama. So I want to, I just pulled up something. This is from the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Obama used the Espionage Act to put a record number of reporters' sources in jail, and Trump could even be worse. Um, 
This is by Peter Stern, senior reporter, June 21st, 2017. Uh, this is part three of a three-part series by the Freedom of Press. Uh, let's see. Blair, who served as the director of national intelligence for the Obama administration in 2009 and 10, was defending the Obama administration's strategy of aggressively prosecuting journalist sources under the Espionage Act of 1917. Mm -hmm. For much of the law's existence, it was used uh, perniciously against anti-war demonstrators. It was not applied to journalists or their sources. It was not until 1971 that a person was indicted under the Espionage Act for providing classified information to a journalist. Between 1907 and 2009, only one person was convicted under the Espionage Act for leaking to a news organization. But the Obama administration was determined to change that. Under pressure from Congress and, in, and intelligence agencies, Attorney General Eric Holder directed the Department of Justice to aggressively prosecute government employees who discussed classified information with reporters. In 2012, after news organizations reported on U.S. drone strikes and attempted to disable Iranian nuclear reactors, uh, Holder assigned two U.S. attorneys to track down the journalist sources. President Obama strongly supported Holder's war against journalists sources despite one promising uh, despite once promising to protect whistleblowers when in office and running for president on the national security scandals of the Bush administration misdeeds that became public only because of leaks since I've been in office and this is a quote since I've been in office my attitude has been zero tolerance of these kind of leaks and speculation Obama said in June 2012. Now we have mechanisms in place where if we can root out folks who have leaked, they will suffer consequences. In some cases, it's criminal. These are criminal acts when they release information like this, and we will conduct thorough investigations as we have in the past. Wow. Right? Yeah. And uh, that leads us to why don't we uh, piggyback right off of that and uh, mention Julian Assange. Well, thank you, right? Because he's, I think he was the, uh, the golden prize. You know, he was, he was what they were going for, ultimately. Yeah. Well, um, on top of that, he, most of this um, misabuse of uh, powers uh, was targeted towards journalists who are supposed to have a little, a little bit more immunity uh, from things than your regular citizens because they're supposed to be pretty much fighting the higher powers, showing you, hey, this is what's going on in the world. You have right. your local journalists doing your local stuff. And then people also obviously, just like we do today, reporting on the Fed, reporting on what's happening in DC. Uh, Julian Assange had even more protections because he wasn't a journalist. He was just the editor. But right. They went after him. He just- Editor put and publisher, in... yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's unprecedented, going after a publisher because he, he didn't leak anything. He was just mm -hmm. the source that put it out. Um, so this is unprecedented territory. I mean, I look at the guy like a hero. And and the crazy thing is that none of the people that were outed through Julian Assange publishing, first of all, none of his publishings put uh, American security at risk at all. He, that mm -hmm. was one of his first and primary things was to make sure that he would not put people or troops in danger and that he would not out information that compromised national security. So that's off the table. That never happened, wasn't even a thing. Um, 
but you know, it's, 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 it's such a slippery slope, right? So none of the people, none of these war criminals that were exposed by Julian Assange's publishings uh, were tried. None of them have gone to jail yet. Julian Assange himself is enemy number one for outing that information for outing those war crimes. And the video that comes to mind, which is horrific, I suggest everybody watch it, but be forewarned, it's called collateral murder. And this is uh, footage from a helicopter, from a US military helicopter. You can hear the transmissions from the helicopter pilot to the base of operations, wherever that is, whoever they're speaking with, asking for permission to quote unquote, light these people up. Um, and, and the people they wanted to light up were a bunch of reporters. Three of them were, um, I forget who they were reporters for. But he, they killed 12 people, I believe, and three or four were reporters. Uh, so unbelievable. And the, the pilots are just laughing about it as they're shooting these people. They're laughing about it. Now talk about pure evil. And none of those people were prosecuted at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll, uh, on top of that, uh, I'm not a big fan. I'll, I'll start this off by saying I'm not a big fan of the media. I'm not a big fan of the people running the media right now. I'll get to that point in a second as to why. Um, but I, I absolutely don't condone our own military mowing down journalists as corrupt as they are. They should be facing prosecution and possibly jail, uh, but not just flat out assassination into the streets and then laughing about murder. Um, why I hate the media right now, one of the many reasons why, you'll notice that there's certain ones that will never get called out, that will never get in trouble, that will never be thrown away, and who are honestly slimy enough where they should be thrown away. Um, but a lot of what happens is they'll be um, co-opted by a lot of it being the CIA, a few other agencies, I'm sure. Um, but they will go and get a lot of them by saying, hey, we really like this uh, story you ran, and then try and make them feel like they're doing service to the country, saying, we need you to run this story. And then certain stories, most of which is why you see now a lot of stuff being exposed as fake news, and this goes back way before you and I were ever born. Um, so they will leak certain stuff to reporters, and um, that'll be ways that they can get them in their pocket by have pretty much having them do work a lot of them will essentially be uh, lower tier CIA agents. Um, and then if that doesn't work, sometimes they'll have to get more aggressive means. But most of the time, they just try to simply have those people work for them. So you ever wonder why you just can't simply stand the media or why if you ever see these, there's plenty of YouTube clips where they mock the mainstream media on how they're everyone saying the same thing, including the same written lines and then they like have them up in a bunch of boxes and they will all say the same things all together at the same time throughout the reports like this is for the good of our democracy or democracy itself is in danger and all these catch lines that you hear every single outlet left right and center all saying there's just certain reporters certain news stations that have just been completely compromised by cia and you can tell when it's something being put out by an you know, a lot of our stuff is not being run by the government. A lot of it is by three-letter agencies. So not a big fan of the media, but I definitely don't agree with mowing them down. And uh, as far as 
people saying with Julian Assange, well, if uh, nobody uh, got arrested uh, by his people, well, then does that mean that he was possibly just putting out the wrong information? If he was putting out wrong information about these other people who didn't get locked up, why would they be going after that shows goes to show you that there was somebody that um, Assange put out stories on and uh, they didn't like it. He's normally when you get a reaction out of people, especially something that bad where they're gunning for you quite literally, you're hovering right over the target. So I, I honestly think uh, I was really hoping if anyone would have gone in a pardon Julian Assange, I thought it would have been Trump. It's obviously not going to be Biden. So we're going to have to get somebody from outside the fold that uh for lack of better words that the blob doesn't like to get this man pardoned and get us some real journalism back in there absolutely amen to that um yeah you you mentioned um the you know the three-letter agencies the deep state having having their tentacles into um news media and i i believe it i believe it goes even further than than what you said which is that they'll uh they'll leak a story or a little bit of information to sink a hook to get those media outlets to talk about said issue. Um, mm-hmm. I was wa- I was watching this program. It's I just pulled it up on YouTube. It's called The Best Film Archives. And this is a phenomenal research uh, resource, excuse me, for historical information on things of this nature. Um, and I, I heard this one episode, watched this one episode on YouTube uh, with former CIA agent John Stockwell, he went so far as to say, not only do they do exactly what you were saying, but they actually have plants at the at each news agency working. Oh, there, yeah. But that are on CIA payroll. He then went so far to say that they they uh, have input on large budget uh, Hollywood scripts, either writing part of the script, editing the script and definitely funding uh, the release of movies that that put forth the you know the the viewpoint that the CIA wants put forth. Um, so I, I heavily in, uh, encourage everybody to look into John Stockwell and the best film archives on YouTube. Um, here's one title from, uh, or here I'll, re- I'll read a few titles of of the things that they cover. So one is how propaganda manipulates your political beliefs. Um, and that's a compilation by Noam Chomsky on that channel. Another one from 2010, the CIA, drugs, and funding dirty wars. The public is not aware of a lot of things. Uh, and then another one, secrets of the CIA's final days in Vietnam. Uh, and these go way back. So the, the one about Vietnam, that's from 1985, Um but it's just, it's unbelievable. It's jaw-dropping information. And a lot of it, it great sources, right? So you've either got investigative journalists that are speaking about this, an author who has done research for a book on the topic. And in a lot of cases, you have ex-CIA uh, employees, officials that are speaking out, uh, you know, speaking about what they personally did. Uh, John Stockwell's a prime example of that. He talks about things that he witnessed firsthand or that he took part in. Uh, so unbelievable. The yeah. level, right? Uh, now, you, since you brought up Vietnam, uh, Vietnam made me think of one thing I also I have written down that I wanted to talk about. Uh, back in Vietnam, this hadn't been used since Vietnam, but it got uh, 
brought back to life after 9-11 was an act called the uh, Stop Loss Act. Um, For those who aren't as familiar with it, you may have heard it uh, referred to as the backdoor draft. Um, Pretty much what that did was if you were to sign up for the military, um, you get your standard contract for active duty, how long you'll be serving uh, and doing tours and stuff like that for them for your basic job. But then there's this pretty much, for lack of better terms, a silent year setting for if for any reason that they decide that they need you, they'll call you in. Because right now, the one thing from really ever since, especially since Vietnam, but the one thing that will pretty much be the uh, anchor that just sinks you politically, reinstating the draft. Nobody, nobody wants to touch that. Everybody is terrified because they know the moment somebody sets out and says, um, we're having a draft and they issue one, their political career is dead and probably along with the party that uh, they're affiliated with. So the backdoor draft allows for them to be able to call those people back in. So you had a lot of people who had been fresh out uh, all of a sudden get uh, reluctantly to come and serve uh, for not alone. Some of them were excited because they saw this and they were just pissed about what had happened and they wanted a piece of the action. Uh, but you had a lot of people who did not want to be in on this that were forced against their will to be in on there. You also had it affect people where, um, certain tours of duty were beginning uh, extended. So people would be getting ready to go back home from the end of a tour. And then all of a sudden you're here, congratulations, another eight, another eight months, another 16 months. Um, this affected a lot of soldiers psychologic, psychologically. Um, I mean, I believe, I don't have the stats, I believe we had the highest suicide rate in this um uh, war on terror than we did in uh, Vietnam, but it did to these people. Um, but then we also had uh, expansion of duties. Um, so much we had 20% of our military doing 80% of the work uh, being special forces. So special forces were reserved for people with like special language skills, have gone through extensive training to be able to go and uh, work with people and cultures that they otherwise would not be able to have your standard infantrymen be able to do um, and uh, arrange for them to go uh, cancel Christmas, as it were. Um, But now all of a sudden they get expanded to do the basic infantry work, um, but it also expanded to things like um, the National Guard, which was pretty much reserved as your strategic um, stay and defend the motherland. Um, so if you had things like, for instance, Hurricane Katrina, your National Guard might be called in. I remember when they were calling it Snowpocalypse around, I want to say 2013 under, I think it was the beginning of Obama's second, uh, for East Coast, like for about two months, we just got hammered with ice storms and snowstorms. Uh, I, I remember I have been off of work for a little over a month just because we couldn't get anywhere and so we had national guard that will come out and they'll take care of you but god forbid if there's some sort of a local terrorist attack uh the city's under fire like how it was over uh the summer of 2020 a lot of national guard should have been called in that wasn't but you have uh stuff like that that they were on reserve for and now all of a sudden they're being pulled off over to go fight a war on terror 
and these people aren't prepared to go and they're prepared to go and be serving at home. That's a lot why a lot of them pick the guard or the air guard. And now all of a sudden they're going over there and they're fighting a war at a country and a continent that they have never been familiar with about stuff that they are completely unprepared for. And uh, it affected a lot of them because when you're national guard, you don't really have that much of a readjustment uh, time because you're serving your local community you're still going to college. You're still having times with your buddies and stuff like that. You still have your heavy civilian life versus all of a sudden you are jarred out all of a sudden out into the Middle East and you're gone 16 months at a time, come back. And then, you know, you've just been shot at. You've seen some of your buddies get blown up. And uh, a lot of them just a lot of people were not ready for that when they saw that uh, quote. Uh, from Robert Gates, who was Defense Secretary from 2006 to 2011. Uh, he said when they reinstated the uh, stop loss, or also known as backdoor draft, uh, quote, this recognizes that our forces are stretched. There is no question about that. So it, it was us basically saying we are not prepared to be able to go and fight this war. We don't have the numbers there, and therefore we're trying to skirt around it about using the draft. John Kerry had also brought that up when he was uh, going against Bush on uh, Bush's reelection. Um, the other thing I wanted to also point out on top of that is um, you have people like uh, Navy or Air Force who typically would not be uh, infantry personnel going door to door, kicking doors in and performing operations like that, all of a sudden going and having to do stuff that the Army and the Marines were doing. Uh, so it, it it screamed, we're not ready for this. And uh, you had people fulfilling job roles that they were never meant to fulfill. And so a lack of training, not that they didn't give them good training there, but as compared to someone who was trained in the army for this or who was trained in the Marines for this versus you go in completely mentally prepared as an airman or as a seaman in the Navy, and then you're done being off of a ship or you're done... Uh, doing some sort of fly or working satellite, and now all of a sudden you're a door kicker. Um, so if you ever see out on there, they have uh, memes that say, "Like, well, uh, I do uh, one of uh, one of a lot of them is uh, drivers. I, I forget the actual job title for them. It depends uh, branch to branch on how they have it listed. Uh, but they say, oh, 'Oh, I'm basically infantry,' because they would just have them delivering troops, but then also going and doing runs for that." So that's what I have on there as far as uh, big changes for our military, as far as like the actual uh, men and women that serve. That was the jolt over there, the ones that we don't normally see, but it affected and changed our military big time. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, thank you for mentioning the veteran suicide rates. That's it's harrowing. And what that's an indication of is that these people were doing things in battle that were morally incomprehensible and morally damaging to the point where that that rotted them from the inside to the point of them taking themselves out once they got home i pulled up an article about this <clears throat> this is uh from allthingsinteresting.com slash veterans dash suicide uh more u.s veterans have committed suicide in the last decade than died in the vietnam war uh and this was published by Marco Margaritoff, checked by John Kurowski, published November 11th, 2019. 
uh, and updated May 2021. Since 2008, more than 60,000 U.S. veterans have taken their own lives with more than half of those deaths via firearms. Um, when soldiers return home from war, they may feel that the worst is over. They made it back alive and are, are now free from the fear of dying in combat. The reality, however, is much more complicated and alarming. More U.S. veterans have committed suicide between 2008 and 2017 than the number of U.S. soldiers that died during the entire Vietnam War. Let me say that again, during the entire Vietnam War. According to the defense news site military.com, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs shared these alarming rates in a September 2019 report. The U.S. suffered around 58,000 fatalities over the course of the Vietnam War, which lasted from 1955 to 1975. This number has now been eclipsed by more than 60,000 U.S. veteran suicides in a recent span of just 10 years. More than 6,000 veterans committed suicide every year during that time frame, despite the fact that the total number of veterans declined by 18%. The statistic serves as a stark reminder that soldiers need mental health treatment just as much as medical care for their physical injuries. The VA's 2019 National Veteran Suicide Prevention Annual Report also revealed that more than half of these veterans committed suicide via firearm. Female veterans used guns 43.2% of the time, while male veterans did so 70.7% of the time. The rate of veteran suicide continues to increase with each and every passing year. In the worst year on record, 6,139 veterans killed themselves in 2017. Oh my God, that, that chokes me up, bro. Yeah. Wow. Let me... Uh, uh, let me pull it back with a, a personal story here. Um, I uh, worked at a manufacturing uh, from 2011 to 2013. And uh, there was this one guy there uh, named Rob. Uh, and he was a ranger who had served uh, during the height of uh, the uh, war on terror. Um, and he, he was now part-time but also full-time recruiter because he just wanted to be in the military still but what happened to him was uh he was doing a mission and uh, this is some of the stuff that unfortunately our vets had to deal with um i'll start off by saying this bullets don't discriminate which is why no matter who has a gun whether it's a male or a female or a child or somebody who is in their late 60s, 70s, or whatever, when you pull the trigger, if the gun's loaded, you know, that bullet's leaving and it's going the direction of wherever it's pointing. So you're unfortunately put in an ugly predicament. But yep. he was uh, left in a, a situation where they're all of a sudden heard gunshots fire and uh immediately uh people started running taking cover and uh uh an ak-47 round uh went and hit his shin bone directly and uh completely uh, for those of you who are like me who like watching things like the ufc you might be familiar with anderson silver chris wyman or most recently conor mcgregor getting their yeah. bone 
snapped, he had his completely shattered um, oh. from that. And so with the threat of his life being taken, seeing the person that had just shot his leg and have having uh, the rifle pointed back down on him, he drew his sidearm and uh, fired several shots, killing the person. And uh, once he was able to hob over there with one leg, um, found out that it was a boy, probably 12 or 13 years old. And so, unfortunately, some of these are boys are people who didn't want to do this, but they're like, if you don't go and pretty much work with the Taliban or work with Al-Qaeda, um, we're going to kill your family. And so some of them would be pretty much kind of blackmailed into just like how we have here in gangs in uh, the United States don't want to necessarily join a gang, but find themselves in a sticky predicament where you might have to join a gang. Some of them have just been, you know, you have 70% there that is just radicalized uh, to a lot of these places in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq. And of course, having our troops over there only pour fuel on that fire because they say, see, we told you, you know, these white devil Americans, they're coming over. And so that pours, full on, uh, pours a lot of fuel on that number. So you have also young boys sometimes doing it. But mentally, that wrecks you when you just go and you pull the trigger and you have to kill a boy and you're going to meet your end as well. Uh, so that causes a lot, stuff like that just causes a lot of vets to commit suicide. But on top of um, another uh, epidemic that's causing people to take their lives and another change that uh, was brought to the U.S. after 9-11, heroin. Um, because we were gotten to this uh, nation building state of things. Um, mostly it, it started a little bit in the first term, but it took off big time during uh, Bush's second term with uh, nation building on, well, we can't just leave and have things go back to the way they were. For those of you who can't understand what I'm saying, see our recent uh, pullout of Afghanistan and what that looked like. Um, so their idea was let's do nation building which absolutely should not have been a thing. But they went to go and they had this idea that, oh, you know, a common phrase you'll hear is um, win the hearts and minds of the Iraqi people or win the hearts and minds of the Afghani people. Well, that was ended up being a big waste and uh, all for nothing. But one of the things we did is, well, we can't have them uh, growing cotton because that's, uh, we kind of have that, dutied out to other countries including us but uh we can let them grow poppy so we would have soldiers guarding poppy seeds poppy fields and eventually that stuff would go and circle its way right on back over into the u.s where a lot of uh soldiers would be partaking in that and then that stuff just broadened right through the border is uh, a main way but also we've had people being flying it in through other countries and stuff you can see other there's plenty of documentaries about stuff with the CIA helping fund uh, drug wars and pretty much bringing drugs into the U.S. and then going, look at all these people hooked on drugs, and then therefore we need a bigger police state here. So, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, pretty much that was the start of um, the heroin epidemic over in the U.S., and um, we used our tax dollars to pay troops to guard poppy fields that would ultimately go and bring about a lot of people's crippling addictions. Uh, it's, it's, I've known people who have been hooked on that stuff. It's sad. It's absolutely, it makes you just hate. 
I love my country, but there's just some things that we've done. We're not perfect. Nobody is. And uh, there's some stains on our history that are uh, darker than others. And that's one of them. Yeah. Well, that was, oh my God, it's such a great point. Uh, and to pull back the lens a little bit so that, that you know, once again, that, that uh, channel on YouTube, the best film archives, they go into how the CIA makes money smuggling drugs and has for a long time and mm -hmm. how it's one, one of the oldest tricks in the book for, for an empire to raise money illicitly that they don't have to account for. They don't have to go to Congress and ask for that money. And, you know, this was uh, the prime example of this was the Iran-Contra affair where I believe it was the Sandinistas, well, anyway, the Sandinistas and the Contras were fighting in Nicaragua. Congress wanted to fund one side of it to fight against a democratically elected socialist government going in. Congress voted no against funding it. So the CIA under George Bush Sr. decided that they would smuggle cocaine into the United States to fund that war illegally. This all got outed when a CIA plane was shot down in Nicaragua, and then the case was blown wide open. Um, I'll pull up uh, the details to that. I believe it was uh, Mena, Arkansas, 1995 is the documentary on YouTube that really breaks that down. But then you're referring to uh, you're referring to uh, cocaine in the 80s, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and the birth of the crack epidemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but then bringing that current, you know, uh, under the Taliban in Afghanistan, opium production had was was greatly reduced. And then here's a a headline I just pulled up: um, reassessing U.S. counter and counter narcotic strategy. Opium production in Afghanistan has skyrocketed since the U.S. military teamed with the Central Intelligence Agency and Afghanistan's Northern Alliance in toppling the Taliban in 2001, with Afghanistan now supplying 92% of the world's illicit opium. And the, the relevance here is now producing, right? So before the leading uh, producer of opium in the world was a region called the Golden Triangle, which was Laos, Cambodia, and Thailand, right next to Vietnam. For you know, for decades, that had been the world's leading producer, right? So funny how the Vietnam War went on so long, huh, mm -hmm. could be a tie there. Then as soon as our military gets to Afghanistan, oh, now Afghanistan takes over as the world's leading producer. So more than a little suspect, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I'll uh, add on to another note on that. This whole... Uh shenanigans from cia and other three-letter agencies uh as far as what they do with drugs this all the way goes back to right when uh, marijuana became illegal um to for a while you used to be able to smoke it uh during the prohibition even although during the prohibition more people still their drug of choice was booze you know people love to drink especially when times are rough um but people were able to smoke back then uh became officially illegal well they made certain contingencies on okay well here's how you can do it legally until eventually it just became yeah it's illegal it was kind of their for lack of better words their backdoor way of making it illegal was you had to have a certain license uh to be able to have marijuana grow marijuana and distribute it but to have that license 
you had to have the plant first. And so people would go and they would say, well, you don't have the plant there. You need to be able to bring that back with us to uh, get that license. So people who are already growing, people already had stashes of it would go grab the plant, bring it back with it. But because you didn't have the license when you brought it, well, you just came up forward with uh, drug information. I'm uh, not drug information, drug possession, uh, right. and reason to believe that you're going to distribute. You're under arrest. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that that pretty much is right where that begins as far as uh, drug stuff goes with uh, little agencies playing dirty little tricks. But yeah, they go and they'll play it right on their own uh, people left and right, and they don't care about. Uh, really the effect so this dates back oh, almost not quite but almost 100 years ago from when they've been doing this it's this just the moment there's a new drug out on the market ring a bell anybody but uh the moment there's a new drug on it you know they just keep you know rinse recycle repeat with the same trick it, it, it does not change exactly and um for anybody interested in looking up at a little of the history on this, look up the Opium Wars. Um, England went to war with China to force them to take to accept imports of, of opium. And China had outlawed it because the majority of their population was addicted. But, you know, England said, oh, hell no, you will accept this crop because we're making good money on it. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. I want, to, I want to pull back a little bit to just referring back to 9-11. Have you heard, uh, Travis, of Operation Northwoods? I have heard of it. I'm not as familiar with it. So here's a great little article I, I pulled up, and this is by ABC News, amazingly enough, um, giving a, just a little glimpse of what it was. Basically, it was... Uh, it, it was a plan that was brought to President Kennedy by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They had all signed off on it. Meaning okay. they were yeah, I know all, what you're talking about. Yeah, they yeah, were all ready to go with it. And and Kennedy said, oh, hell no, you must be out of your mind. But so the attack this, on uh, U.S. soil? Yeah. Going in? Yep. Yep. This would have been 9-11 in the 60s. So mm -hmm. uh, U.S. military wanted to provoke war with Cuba by David Rupp, January 7th, 2006, New York, May 1st, 2001. In the early 1960s, America's top military leaders reportedly drafted plans to kill innocent people and commit acts of terrorism in US cities to create public support for a war against Cuba. Codenamed Operation Northwoods, the plan remained excuse me, the plans reportedly included the possible assassination of Cuban emigres, sinking boats of Cuban refugees on the high seas, hijacking planes, blowing up a U.S. ship, and even orchestrating violent terrorism in U.S. cities. The plans were developed as a way to trick the American public and the international community into supporting a war to oust Cuba's then new leader, communist Fidel Castro. America's top military brass even contemplated causing U.S. military casualties, writing, we could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. And casualty lists in U.S. newspapers would cause a health, 
helpful wave of national indignation. Details of the plan are described in Body of Secrets, Doubleday, Doubleday Books, I guess, a new book by investigative reporter James Barnford about the history of America's largest spy agency, the National Security Agency, the NSA. However, the plans were not uh, connected to the agency, he notes. The plans had written had the written approval of all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and were presented to President Kennedy's Defense Secretary, Robert McNamara, in March 1962, but they apparently were rejected by the civilian leadership and have gone undisclosed for nearly 40 years. These, uh, these were Joint Chiefs of Staff documents. The reason these were held secret for so long is the Joint Chiefs never wanted to give these up because they were so embarrassing. Barnford told abcnews.com. The whole point of a democracy is to have leaders responding to the public will. And here is the complete reverse, the military trying to trick the American public into war that they did not want, but nobody else into they, a war that they want, but nobody else wants. Gunning for war. The documents show the Joint Chiefs of Staff drew up and approved plans for what may be the most corrupt plan ever created by the US government, writes Barnford. The Joint Chiefs even proposed using the potential death of astronaut John Glenn during the first attempt to put an American into orbit as a false pretext for war with Cuba, the documents show. Should the rocket explode and kill Glenn, they wrote, the objective is to provide irrevocable proof that the fault lies with the communist at all Cuba. The plans were motivated by an intense desire among senior military leaders to depose Castro, who seized power in 1959 to become the first communist leader in the Western Hemisphere, only 90 minutes, 90 miles from U.S. shores. The earlier CIA-backed Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba by Cuban exiles had been a disastrous failure in which the military was not allowed to provide firepower. The military, military leaders now wanted a shot at it. The whole thing was so bizarre, says Barnford, noting public and international support would be needed for an invasion, but apparently neither the American public nor the Cuban public wanted to see U.S. troops deployed to drive out Castro. Unreal, right? That echoes something happening today. Um, for those of you who aren't paying as close attention to what's happening over in Ukraine, um, one of the things that came out early, early into this uh, as the uh, continuation of the invasion started off in February was uh, unwanted information got leaked out. They weren't quite ready for this yet, but that there were bio labs uh, over in Ukraine. And you know they didn't want it leaked out because they tried to say, no, there are no U.S. biolabs over there. And we're like, well, we didn't say U.S. biolabs. We just said that there were labs over there. And then, right. so then they kind of like walk it back, like kind of like if you were to be like, uh, like if I were to like run over your dog or something accidentally driving down the highway and you're like, oh, I can't find my dog. I'm like, well, I, I've definitely seen your golden retriever. Like, how'd you know I have a golden retriever? Well, I don't know, but I definitely wouldn't look on 83 South around mile marker 32. <laughs> but I mean, that's exactly. kind of basically, you know, uh, except for with dire stakes involved, uh, what's going on. And then, um, ah, what's his face? Rubio. 
Marco Rubio. No. I forget the lady that he was um, interviewing, but they were talking about these biolabs. And eventually they were saying, these, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, the biolabs went from, well, they're not U.S. biolabs. Okay, they're U.S. biolabs, but they're just level two, like food grade safety labs. Okay, we believe, though, that they might have information on deadly pathogens and disease that they could weaponize to, yeah, there's definitely that stuff in there. So we, we might right. be staring down possibly. We all just got out of this pandemic, unless if you're in a far more blue state, then you're probably still, quote unquote, stuck in a pandemic, which you're probably just stuck under government tyranny. But um, yeah, and so... Uh, Rubio was pretty much the way he was saying it and like nodding his head to this woman. And he goes, so let me get this straight. You're saying that um, if there was any sort of a pandemic to be leaked out, this would only be uh, Russia using uh, bio uh, bioweapons, correct? And she's like, we don't know. I mean, for sure, there's a lot of things that could, and then so he repitches it to her and he goes, so what you're telling me, though, is you're certain that if there was to be another sort of a pandemic, Luis, that there is no doubt in your mind that this was an act of the Russians using the biolabs in there, correct? And then he's kind of like nodding his head with her and he's like, it was obvious, like, hey, I'm trying to pretty much, you know, the question behind the question, like, guiding you into what we want you to say. And she goes, correct. And he goes, okay, thank you. So yeah. these – Feeding her the response that he wants. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So now is when something happens, it's like, okay, well, we already have uh, the groundwork laid out and uh, justification for it. So now all, all we have to do is pretty much wait for that. So they're uh, – there, that's probably, in all honesty, a factor that will come into play here soon, I'm sure. Um, now, talk about a smokescreen, right? So here yeah. we are funding, either we, we are operating or funding what they admitted as bioweapons research facilities in Ukraine. But they spun it so that if a new pathogen does escape, it's Russia that did it by bombing said biolab. And we, yeah. but we, but we have no culpability for creating or funding that biolab and working on these heinous, nefarious pathogens that, in my business, we have no business working with. I don't believe in gain of function research. I think it's Pandora's box, and once you open that box, you have no idea what's going to happen. Yep, you never know what exactly is going to be jumping out on that other side. That's right. This, and, this and, is stuff and, we can't guarantee. That's right. And the whole guise of of when I call it a guise, because to me, it's it's just so evidently bullshit that gain of function research is to come up with a cure for something that might hypothetically be created in the future. We'll worry about that if and when that thing is created, but don't create it and thereby pause a hazard of it being released either intentionally or uh, nefariously or by accident. Because, I mean, come on, Have you, everybody has seen the movie 12 Monkeys, right? What could yep. go wrong? What could go wrong? Please. Yep. You think, like, with everything that happens in the world, rather than using gain of function, like, maybe we could, like, put that amount of, like, work and effort into, I don't know, a cure for cancer? 
you know, yes, diseases right. that already exist rather than making up like, well, what if we, and then they just go into their like prepper dark fiction of uh, what diseases could come up and then they try and create it and then solve for it and then be like, okay, but what if it's worse and then make it worse until something that is just way out of hand. You're, you're playing with fire. Eventually you're going to get bit with this. So exactly. and, and we did get bit with it. You recall when uh, Fauci had email leaks and he's panicking going, is this one of ours? And then it turned out that it was both China and uh, him working with it. Yeah, there was uh, bio labs uh, that got leaked out with over in China. But uh, we had our hands in that bio lab too. This wasn't just a Chinese bio lab with China only. It turned out U.S. Yeah, we were we were kind of were a little involved on that one. Yeah, by um, the whole time we had the fox in the hen house. Yep, Fauci was tied to working with that lab. He brought three point nine million dollars over there to work on gain of function research at this lab. It was a and through a subsidiary of the National Institute of Health, so it wasn't the National Institute of Health doing it directly. They created a little subsidiary, so plausible deniability, right? But mm -hmm. Fauci is directly leaked to that, and you and you nailed it. He even, you know, his email was outed saying, oh, God, is this ours? Yeah. Could be. And nobody knows, right? We'll never know for sure if it was a lab leak or if it was intentionally leaked or how this started, right? Yep. And uh, bringing it back to 9-11, all of what's happening today echoes when you, uh, with things I was saying about, uh, I just said his name earlier, the senator, Republican senator. Um Marco Rubio? Thank you. Um, yeah, with all of that, that uh, echoes very much um, Bush and uh, everything that happened with 9-11 saying, we believe that there are WMDs and uh, most specifically, for people who aren't aware, yellow cake is like, that's borderline pure uranium. At that point, you have a functioning uh, nuclear bomb. Right. So and which, which uh, was all proven to be BS, right? Yep. All proven to be BS and just mil uh, uh, media fabrication, government fabrication, but then parroted by the media. And um, you mentioned earlier how the media parrots things. People, if you want, if you if you want to, if you want proof of this, and if you want an example of this, uh, look up on YouTube. The Easter Bunny has extra spring in his step this year, and this is an example of us of a seemingly innocuous example of how the media literally hundreds of outlets were repeating the very same sentence and you yeah. know wmds was the same thing well it's going to come in the in the form of a mushroom cloud of a mushroom cloud of a mushroom cloud of a mushroom cloud yep just like i was telling you earlier uh, all the different screens written up by our journalists saying the exact same thing. This is for uh, democracy or our democracy is in jeopardy and they'll all say the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, then bringing it forward to the Ministry of Truth, which is, yeah. I mean, I just, I still can't believe this, dude. I'm pinching myself right now. Like, am I in the middle of a nightmare? No, I am fully awake and cognizant. Um, yeah, well, that ties in perfectly with 9-11 because that is going uh, a subsection of the uh, Department of uh, Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. so, right. Which and I'm sure was brought about by 9-11. Yeah, and I'm sure it's going to be incorporated into part of the Patriot Act, whereby, you know, if you cross the line 
uh, and and prevent misinformation, quote unquote, then said agency can be dispatched to round you up. Um, These are scary times. So who, who knows? This podcast may cross that line. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a warrior for truth, and while I can still breathe breathe uh, air freely, I am going to speak freely. That is my belief, and that is my God given right, and I will defend that to the death. Um, I've got an article here from the Hill: Joe Biden's Ministry of Truth by Joe Concha, opinion contributor uh, contributor five one twenty two. Oh wow! So today at eight a.m. The views expressed by our contributors are their own and not the view of the Hill. So a disclaimer from the publisher right there. Um, the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security announced this week that it has launched what is being dubbed a disinformation governance board to combat, quote unquote, misinformation. No, really, comma, a government agency creating a, quote unquote, ministry of truth to combat what is deemed misinformation. And it's going to fall under the leadership of the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, the guy presiding over the worst border crisis of our lifetime, who publicly denies it is a, is, who denies it is a crisis at all, while par- uh, privately admitting it is, Who better to give more responsibility in a democracy that largely rejects government intervention over free speech? What could possibly go wrong? The person chosen to lead this new, quote unquote, Commission on Public Information under Mayorkas is Nina Jankowicz, Jankowicz, who calls herself a disinformation fellow. Wow. And a Russian disinformation expert. Wow. Wow. Uh, This is always a fun game to play. Let's say government Ron DeSantos, Republican, has decided to create a disinformation governance board in the state of Florida. And to lead that effort, they say he chose someone who once openly pushed a partisan conspiracy theory. You can only imagine the exclamations about a chilling attack on democracy and totalitarianism rearing its head from the sunshine state. Here's what Mayorkas' choice to helm Biden's Ministry of Truth once said about Hunter Biden's infamous laptop, which many on the left and in the media dubbed as Russian disinformation in the weeks before the 2020 election. We should view it as a Trump campaign product, Jankowicz said of the story at the time, not to mention that the emails don't need to be altered to be part of an influence campaign. Voters deserve that context, not a fairy tale about a laptop repair shop, she also tweeted in October 2020. Well, it turns out the laptop from hell really is just that for Hunter Biden and possibly his father, the sitting president. The New York Times and the Washington Post with both put, both pushed the same conspiracy theory that the laptop came from Russia to hurt Joe Biden and help Donald Trump recently confirmed that the laptop and its contents belong to Hunter Biden, a federal investigation into Hunter's expanding with reports that he may have violated money laundering, tax, and foreign lobbying laws. The new head of the Ministry of Truth isn't tweeting much about that investigation these days. Why is that? Jankowicz, also a big fan of the now discredited and laughable Steele dossier, 
here's what she tweeted about a great appearance of the Christopher Steele about, I'm sorry, about a guest appearance that Christopher Steele made on something called the Info Infogation podcast. Um, listened to this last night. Chris Steele, yes, that Chris Steele provides some great historical context about the evolution of disinfo. Worth a listen. Steele's sources have since now proven not to be credible. His allegations of Russian collusion with the Trump campaign of Russian hookers and of P-tapes also not credible. Yet Jankowicz once recommended that we listen to that Chris Steele when it comes to disinformation. And here's what she tweeted in recent days about Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Last week, quote unquote, last week I told at NPR Michael, uh, I shudder to think about if free speech absolutists were taking over more platforms, what that would look like for the marginalization, marginalized communities, which are already shouldering disproportionate amounts of abuse. This pro-steel pro anti-musker will report to Mayorkas, who is said in Congress testimony this week that he inherited a broken and dismantled immigration and border security system from the Trump administration, and that only Congress can fix this. He added, yet we have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Border crossings have skyrocketed under Borden, Biden, Mayorkas, and surpassing an estimated 2 million in 2021. The numbers weren't remotely near those under Trump. It was the Biden administration that stopped the border wall construction and ended the effective remain in Mexico policy for asylum uh, seekers. It was it was Biden who, as a presidential candidate, urged migrants to surge the border and they listened. The guy whose agency is launching a disinformation governance board, also without evidence, accused his own Border Patrol agents of whipping migrants, saying that it painfully conjured up the worst elements of our nation's ongoing battle against systemic racism. You get the point. Mayorkas and Jankowicz are two of the last people who should be leading any quote-unquote ministry of truth, and the U.S. government shouldn't even have considered creating something like this to be run by partisans with political agendas. Mm. Bam, unreal. Yep, yeah, and to anyone who, I mean, literally Ministry of Truth is straight out of Orwell 1984. That is like, like why don't we just like cut straight to the chase to something that people are a lot more familiar with and just call them stormtroopers. Right. Yeah. yeah, or the ring wraiths or something like that. But I mean, like, if you're gonna copy, like, for my Fed agents listening in to us, if you're gonna copy a name uh, of an organization and uh, their job description, why would you pick something that is straight out like the very well known as the bad the 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 antagonist organization and just pick their name and their job description and say we're going to use this and also as far as people with the soft names like the ministry of truth do you really think people that the people that are come going to come knock down your doors and 
are, are going to be called the Gestapo are going to, which originally was uh, regarding quote unquote health. But did you really think it was going to be something called like the death squad or the executioners coming through? They're always going to give it a soft name so that it can be like, oh, these people are here. They're good. They're for our, oh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's never going to be called something that you think that is going to be, oh, this is obviously the bad guy, the force of Satan or something like that. It is always going to be uh, something because you have to have, you know, you have to get people behind you. So it's always going to be something like that. Yeah. That's it. And the Ministry of Truth, but they put in, he puts in quotes, the Ministry of Truth. So I guess it's the the Ministry of Disinformation. But do you really think the Ministry of Disinformation is going to be putting forth truthful information? And, 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 and isn't it a joke that our government, that who, who we've pointed out many, many examples just in this conversation alone, not to mention our previous talks, about government-sanctioned misinformation? So what would that fall under the CIA, you would think? Intelligence agency. But they're the specialists at it, right? I mean, uh, you've you've heard that quote of Mike Pompeo as head of the CIA, right? That he said uh, we he was speaking to a college and he said, um, you know, we teach whole courses on misinformation. We're specialists at lying. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why from they the had polygraphs. Sorry, what's the early days, I said back in the early days, they had polygraphs to be able to train themselves on that. There you go. There you go. So you don't you don't get your next golden bar until you can beat the machine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, what a crazy time. You know, up is down, black is white, left is right. You know, do do as the government says because they'll protect you. They always have your best interest in mind and don't question authority. Yeah, I, I still, I'm baffled that this isn't something directly under this. A, if you look at their motto, uh, the work of the nation, the center of intelligence, uh, the unofficial motto is uh, a quote from John eight thirty two in the Bible, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's their, they have that as their quote unofficial motto. You can look it up right there. Wow. So, yeah, the, I mean. Ministry of Truth, and then they quote John eight thirty two. I, I feel I, I feel like there's a little more to this than what they're letting on to, obviously. But uh, hey, now that we have the Patriot Act, now they have uh, that means we can have uh, the Department of Homeland uh, Security Agency and uh, the CIA all uh, in it together. So I'm sure that it's meant to overlap. Absolutely. And then the NSA is garnering all that information, of course, not to be used domestically, but it will be and it has been. So if the NSA is the information gathering branch, uh, you know, the Department of Homeland Security is probably the uh, legislative branch that will bring charges to you. And then the CIA is are the, the boots on the ground. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, um, to to the people who uh, I doubt you're the kind of person that listens to it, uh, that holds this kind of view, but for anybody out there that's rejoicing in this uh, and thinking that now we can shut down our political opposition over it, okay, what happens when it's Trump? Because you know he's running again. 
-hmm. what happens how do you feel about bush having that uh the next bush it's inevitably somebody else is going to have it and you're going to be on the other end of that gun is this really is something that you want to be used against you you know yeah. there used to be uh they make fun of the preppers and preppers used to put out really stupid memes or uh, people that were really into that bs of uh, anonymous and uh would have the the mask up and the meme would say stuff like think while you can uh or at least while it's still legal and uh well now we're looking at it and uh that might be going away soon because granted you might be able to quote unquote think for yourself now but i mean thinking thoughts mean absolutely nothing like the old saying goes um if a tree falls in the woods but no one's there to hear it uh is there sound you know you can have a thought but that thought means absolutely nothing and it has no value until it is uh either brought into existence by speaking of words or brought about by action and normally bringing about through action is uh the precursor to that is uh spreading of word and your thoughts until they get narrowing up your thoughts mean absolutely nothing uh keeping it to yourself and so the way you put that out is communication whether it's social media whether it's talking with other people or what have you until you vocalize that until you actually give life to your thought your thoughts are just simply uh free floating uh neurons and ideas that mean absolutely nothing you know your thoughts you know what's that old saying uh your thoughts your thoughts become your words your words become your action your action becomes your character your character becomes or uh thoughts become your uh your habits your habits come your character your character becomes your legacy there you, you know go. That it's it is the most sacred part of who you are which is your thoughts and your ability to communicate them so yeah this is all so that they can make sure that they don't have a repeat of 2016 where they let go of everything because remember it was never supposed to be trump it was supposed to be they had before they had a model set out of either way the agencies uh, get to win, whether it's Bush or it's Al Gore, whether it's Bush or Kerry, whether it is McCain or Obama, whether it's Obama or Mitt Romney. And then they deviated from that and just go, well, we're just flat out. It's, it is her time. It is Hillary Clinton's. And so it was supposed to be a big blowout and it ended up completely backfiring because people have had enough of fake choices now you starting to see granted he might not make it again and stuff but you've unlocked uh ron DeSantis and you've unlocked a lot of third party people i personally i don't go third party i think there's a lot more hope for me to try to go and rebuild the party that i'm in than uh start a new one but you're seeing that a lot with a lot of primaries and a lot of establishment republicans and a lot of establishment democrats but democrats in general are sweating bullets coming november um because uh even when locally within your own party um there's a lot of primaries happening and it's it's not a sure win yet and this is yeah. happening not just nationally this is happening worldwide france was so freaking close with it uh with uh macron versus who was that other person i was extremely nationalist that they were running against yeah well it's been i can't recall that name but it's like you said it's sweeping internationally the move towards nationalism yeah, yeah which uh, that that's personally where i hold you know that 
uh, this global American empire. You look how Rome spread across so much, but you can only go so thin until things start to crumble. And one of the ways that started was their economy and how they devalued their currency. And you look at uh, Britain, you know, similarly, and how they've crumbled, spread way too thin, and then they go through a crisis, and now they're reduced to pretty much an island. Um, and then the U.S. same thing, and we're we're focusing on being reduced, and it looks like somebody else is going to be taking the reins. I'd like to just see just quite simple nationalism value their country, value their ideals, value their local community. No need to go and spread out throughout, focus on ourselves. We don't make our own medicines. We don't make our own food. We don't make our own fertilizers. We don't make our own uh, building. Well, I mean, maybe a little bit with our buildings, but most of our material being imported elsewhere. Yep. We, the only thing that was left, the last block for America that we were exporting was culture. And our culture has been going to absolute crap to the point where other countries are saying, you know, we, if this is what the West has to offer, we're not interested. And uh, it could, unfortunately, it could lead to uh, us either 100% collapsing uh, as a nation and as a society, or we might just be heavily, heavily reduced like how England has been. And, uh, you know, that could be hard at first, but that might end up being good for us. The only problem is the power vacuum on who's going to grab it because it looks like China or Russia are butting up for it. It looks like mm -hmm. more heavily China. So I don't know how you, once you start going and going imperial for world domination, I don't know how you put this cat back in the bag to where it's just Nate. But um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. scary times to be alive. I I agree. And, um, and, you know, nationalism gets a bad name because everybody thinks Nazis, right? Thinks it's going to yeah. go directly to to totalitarian authoritarian governments, right? It don't, doesn't have to be that way. You know, the the nicer way of saying it is America first focus on, you know, and, and it's exactly. and it's a personal thing, right? They say focus on the three feet around you, then your local, then your household, then your local community, then your city, then your state than your country. So it's basically that ideal. It doesn't have to lead towards some totalitarian or authoritarian government. It has to do with us putting ourselves and our communities before we go and try to change the ideals or the economies or the thought processes of some foreign country. But like, how about we fix the water in Flint, Michigan, before we give 13 billion to Ukraine? Most people probably can't point out Ukraine on a freaking map. Um, and you bring, you brought up, uh, you know, the, the Hillary Clinton and the Trump thing. Well, here's how egotistical the DNC is or was. And, uh, and I'm sure that, that the CIA or some three letter agencies were in cahoots with them, but they picked Donald Trump as what they called a Pied Piper candidate, meaning yep. he would lead enough people to, but they thought they would stop him. So talk about delusional arrogance, right? Yep. That's what happens when they broke from their uh, they broke from their original game book that they've been doing for decades upon decades, and it bit them in the ass. Thankfully, mm -hmm. and you also mentioned that we're at this point in time we're able to think freely, but how for how much longer, right? Until the neural links around, then they can trace our thoughts. I mean, this 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 is directly uh, it links to the movie The Minority Report, you know, mm -hmm. and the Bureau of Pre Crime. Like, oh, you were considering you know, committing a crime, you are under arrest. 
Yep. It's, it's really not all that far away. Maybe 20 years at best. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, look at China's, it, it, um, uh, their state of security right now with how they're, uh, lording over and uh monitoring their their public oh it's, yeah it's, people it's wailing from the towers oh. yeah oh and uh i mean do you remember back in 2020 michael bay put out uh i watched the movie while we were under lockdown a movie called songbird no. we're like okay you never saw that movie i'm writing it down oh my gosh it's it's fiction but it came true in like a year and a half where uh there were it, it was called it was based on covid 24 because oh, this wow. was all to take place five years in the future you knew as soon as covid hit like michael base like i have a job yeah. so um the gist of the story is there's quote unquote the munis so they get to go out and they have bracelets uh identify them as munis the whole place is under uh one big giant lockdown and so there will be a small batch of people doing the work so that people can live in lockdown and mm -hmm. they hit on different things like uh the debilitating uh ethics that it has to people who just have relations with the screen and how it will affect your personal and social life um but then one of the things that it has them do the the, the main plot of the movie is um he knows this girl via video chat, listens to her streams and uh, has the hots for her. And she kind of has the hots for him. And so he just wants to run away and get away with her. And uh, but one of the things that's holding him back is constantly they will have a notice come up on their phone that they have to take a picture of themselves and they have to do this. Uh, you have about 15 minutes to go and send it from when the notice comes out on your phone otherwise people will come and take you away to uh what they were calling q camps for quarantine camps and wow. uh so you would the people would go and take pictures of them and would also test their vitals and so they would see things like their temperature and all that stuff that's happening right now right now over in china and this was a movie that came out in the winter of but that's happening right now. And then what happens is the villain will come and with uh, people over in gas masks and hazmat suits, take them away. And, oh, well, you were considered a close contact, so you're getting taken away to a Q-zone. And so that's the general premise. And so he's trying to get her uh, falsified uh, bracelet saying that she's a meanie so they can go and run away and have their love life together. Um, but it's not a quite as easy as you would think were set up. But that's just the basic premise, and we're living in it in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. I mean, you know, and what's going to happen when, when we, you know, a ton of working class stiffs, blue collar stiffs, lose their jobs to automation, which is just around the corner. Like yep. you said, the, you know, the minority reports 20 years in the future. Well, Elon Musk says self-driving cars are five years in the future. 50% of all non-skilled labor are driving jobs. So 50% mm -hmm. of non-skilled labor, boom, out the window. And then how soon is it before we have, you know, robots flipping burgers, uh, your barista at Starbucks, a waitress. I've already been to a sushi sushi joint where a robot brought you the food. Yeah. So, Do you guys have giants out west over in California? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, we have uh, giants here, and uh, they have robots that will roam around and secure and do i mean it, it's it is, they put googly ass on it so that you can 
make quote unquote oh, eye contact with it. But it you're talking around. about a security apparatus. I don't know if it's security apparatus, but it, it's there to do jobs like check out on stel, uh, shelves, uh, make sure that things are properly put away, take inventory, things like that. But that's going to be blue collar jobs gone. But you know, as far as um, your timing is probably off with uh, automated driving since quote unquote the honkening, the great a honkening came out over in uh, Canada and a small blip of it over in the US where they were having those truckers do that massive protest where they clogged up all the streets and just wailed on their horns oh, yeah. uh, to protest the, you know that they got in touch with a whole bunch of people uh, working on this stuff and be like, you need to make this priority number uno. So yeah. that will well, that will be the first chip to fall, I believe, will be to get rid of drivers so that they don't have to worry about that kink in the in their supply chain. Absolutely. And and you know, the self-driving semi already exists. You know, it's mm -hmm. got one seat in the center of the cab so that somebody could hypothetically sit there, but you know, that seat could be eliminated very simply. Um, yep. this, I mean, it just brings up crazy stuff. We have these FEMA camps that are sitting empty. We're looking at, at a mass automation of a huge portion of our jobs. We're an undereducated country, so we don't have a lot of people that would qualify for higher level or professional jobs. So what happens to all these people? You know, do, do we grind them into dog food? Is that yeah. what's going to happen? One of them that they were working on in the early years of the Obama administration was, um, for some reason, FEMA sought the need to go and build guillotines, like French oh. Revolution stuff. Yeah. Talk about cheap way of, uh, you know, and then you just automate it with a solar panel and forget about it, right? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, I don't know. Maybe I think this has been a great one. This is probably a good point to wrap it with the automated guillotine taking over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 scary times, but here it is in our face. Sad but true. You know, I, I um, I've seen this coming for a long time. I was hoping I wouldn't be right, but it, you know, it, it keeps ending up that my predictions are becoming reality, and. Um, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. I've been saying that for a long time. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you got for our listeners to close out with, Trav? Um. Well, right now it seems like the only thing that's really happening on the news is uh, Elon Musk related, and unfortunately, uh, Ministry of Truth wraps right into that. Um. So I'd say be keeping an eye on that. Uh. Other than that, um, I've been saddled with a whole lot of stuff hitting my life all at once, but uh, on Anchor, I will be starting to have a show up hopefully sometime in uh, mid-June, so start to look out for that soon. In the meantime, you can catch me over on Stereo. I am the Thunder Monkey. I do some talks with Dave's, and I do a little independent stuff as well. Um, be sure to check me out there, and you can follow me on Getter as well. I'll be expanding to more media sites soon. Probably now... Uh, Thanks to Elon, I might even be opening up a Twitter soon. Uh, but that's all I got for me now. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I've got high hopes for Twitter, uh, you know, becoming a, an actual uh, platform for sp free speech. Uh, thank you, Travis. This has been a great talk. Thank you for people for tuning in. Um, please check out my podcast and another thing with Dave. You can hear 
uh, the tr previous talks that Travis and I have done, we've done um, six previous episodes, uh, one, the last being called the New Alliance Forming as an Old Currency Dies. That's a three-part series. And then before that was the fourth turn, uh, World War III, the fourth turning and the New World Order. And that's also a three-part series. And this will be chopped up and put out on 20 different out outlets um, as a three-part series. I just want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you, Travis, and uh, look forward Pleasure to our next always. talk. Have a wonderful day. You as well, my friend. Take care. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm throwing down, please do share with friends and on social media. Until next time, keep on digging for the truth.